kids who like take, would take a random tie-dye shirt and just write hypercolor on it when you were... When I you may were or may not have actually done that. It's totally there possible. Just don't crumple blow on it because it might not change. All right. Um, leave that. Just leave that. that I was don't perfect. even know. Yeah, I, don't I know love that it got about. so quiet. Everyone's like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have joined us midstream in another Mosby Learning Podcast. This is episode 37 of, um, like I said, Mosby. Welcome. It's been a minute. It's, it's always a minute. And I, I love coming back because it's always new friends that we get to meet here uh, and old friends as well join us on the regular. My name is Dan Hurt, if you didn't know, and join... Uh, joining us today, joining me today, and and us, you'll hear in a moment, uh, Betty Danowitz from If You Ask Betty, you know, everywhere. How are you, Betty? I'm good. How are you, Dan? I'm I'm swell. I'm swell. Thank oh, you. I'm just, great. I'm yeah. hyper color with excitement. <laughs> I don't get the reference, but I'm excited to play along. I think I used it right. Oh. We, we also have joining us a new friend, a uh, new friend in the Mosby Airwaves, Carrie O'Brien. Carrie, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, although I didn't realize there was someone in North America of our vintage who doesn't know what hypercolor is. Well, I mean, he's Canadian. I'm Canadian, too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Dan lives really far in Canada, so I don't know. I grew up like in the sticks in a very small crossroads, literally a crossroads. uh, Wait, which one? Well, it was, it's down in, um, by, uh, by Windsor, Ontario and Essex yeah. County there. There's a little tiny okay. town called Ruscombe and, and Ruscombe doesn't get a lot of shout outs on anything, <laughs> uh, because it's like population 200 people. But yeah, that's, that's where I grew up pretty much surrounded by, uh, dirt. Uh, there you go. It, and it not, good not hyper color oh, shirts. No, no hyper color shirts. Okay. So it's, it's like a, it's like a brand of shirt. Is this, is oh. like a. Yeah, it was the best. It was so it it's like one color, but when you like get it wet or when you get warm, it changes to a different color. Um, and uh, it was the best because you'd wear it to gym class or whatever, and then you have like huge different colored <coughs> patches under your pits and like down your back. Fun. And then eventually it stopped changing color, and you just had like the perma pit marks, but they were so expensive you didn't want to stop wearing. Just great shirts, great shirts. Yeah. To have the 80s. <laughs> and it would be really fun to like walk. This is this is my blow on it comment. Walk up to somebody, put your mouth on their shoulder, yeah. and just like, <sighs> and it would like leave a circle. Which sounds horrifying now. Yeah. Like post pandemic, I'm like yeah. back I can't then. Though, we did that. Yeah. That's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Well, hey, uh, Carrie, we'd love love to uh, have you here. Excited to have you. And uh, we crossed paths about a week and a half ago, something like that, mm-hmm. at the Canadian e learning conference. Uh, there, is there a fourth member of the the podcast? Today, <laughs> Who do you she have in the just background? snored really loud behind me. Uh, Pepper so. Potts. Pepper Potts. I wonder if it'll be on there. That would be. I think it will be. I think they'll be great. I hope it snuck through. So, Carrie, what were you? Um, well, tell you what. Why don't you just give us a bit of a background? Who you are? What do you do? And and what you're into? Sure, sure. So, uh, I'm Carrie O'Brien. I am a. My LinkedIn says I'm a learning person, and all meanings of that apply. So, I am a fan of learning. I like teaching myself new things. But I'm also a learning person professionally. And so uh, when we ran into each other in the, at that conference, we were both presenting sessions. Now, you were being a very good conference 
attendee, Dan, and you were like, I'm going to go to other people's sessions and see what's going on. Uh, I had a I had a very busy week that week. So I wound up uh, having to kind of like parachute in, just do my session, which was on uh, the science of story crafting and then uh, kind of like dip out again. But uh, when I'm not doing conference stuff, uh, I work right currently, I work for a software company called Exonify as their talent development programs manager. Uh, and I've been doing similar learning roles like that over the past 10, 12 years uh, with stops in, you know, enablement, some stops in global learning, a lot of facilitation, some learning experience design. So uh, I like to refer to myself as like a full stack learning person. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. That's interesting. I've heard that phrase full stack used in other places, and I've heard it attempted to be applied to the things that we do as well. And that's good. Yeah. And, and I mean, any developer I know who just heard me say that is furiously texting yeah. or emailing very, me right very now. Very unhappy yeah. right now. That's, yeah. And that's Carrie O'Brien on LinkedIn, <laughs> right? <laughs> I know where to find me. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, like, it, it. you know, when you think about, I mean, you can think about learning, you know, from a couple of different perspectives. Like when you think about the, the ingrained competencies, right? So you've got like trainers and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got facilitators, you've got instructional design design, depending on your background, you might have courseware design, you've got program management, even like some events planning comes into that, right? And I've done, yeah. I've kind of done a little bit of all those things. And and probably the only thing I haven't done is actually like done, um, and I work primarily in software. So doing like actual enablement for software developers, that's probably the one thing that's, that's missing from my bingo card. So that's the next thing I got to get into. That's awesome, man. And Betty, you've got a background that's kind of like that. You've done damn near everything, right? I've done I've done a lot of things. Um, you want to oh, you want to talk about professionally what I've done? Okay, we, go <laughs> we could restrict the conversation. <laughs> sure that we were clear. legal activities. Yeah, I mean, I started you know started out in banking. I was a teller and hmm. uh, became an office manager in the brick and mortar. This was back when we actually went to the bank yeah. to like get things done. And um, yeah, I, I worked my way up. I could do my job with my eyes closed. And you probably know the rest of the story. They said, Hey, do you want to be a trainer? And I was like, that sounds like fun. And 18 years later, here I am having worked in just about every area of L and D or either worked in it or worked with, with them as a partner, um, including learning management, uh, LMS management, what I was trying to say. Oh. Yeah. No, yeah Dan, had a, Dan had an opening recently and I was like, no. Oh I mean, yeah. Well, you think I was I considering you for the position? Yeah. I would love to work with Dan, but I, I don't want to be an LS admin again. No. no. I, oh. <laughs> Gary, what are your thoughts on this? You have thoughts. Well, it's it's. I thought it was interesting, Betty, that you said, "Well, you know the rest of the story." Because one thing I actually love about working with L and D folks is everybody has kind of like that different entrance into the world. Like for me, I wanted to be a high school teacher, and then I did a placement in a high school, and then I didn't want to be a high school teacher yeah. anymore. <laughs> and so, heard that. <laughs> yeah, so I went to I uh, I started working for an investments firm actually as a CSR just to like you know I, I still got student bills to pay. I got to pay those back, and so on day one. Uh, and, and it was like a month of training because you had to like learn all the tax types and learn all the things. And, uh, on day one, I met my trainer, we're at lunch, we're just sitting talking and I'm like, so, so like, what do you do when you're not training people? Oh yeah. Did you get punched? <laughs> no, I did. She was very great. And it's one of those things like in retrospect, I'm like, Oh, I can't yeah. believe, but she was very gracious. <laughs> and she said, Oh no, no, no. Like this is my full-time job. And that, that actually, cause both my parents were, were teachers. Oh. So I, I just, 
I just didn't know what was out there. Right. And so yeah. I was like, Oh, like teaching grownups, that could be a thing I wanted to do. And so for oh, me, it was like, like, Oh, that's a thing. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, Cause you don't know what you don't know. Right. right. Like I, I was yeah. just like, well, everybody's a teacher. I'm going to be a teacher. And I'm, I'm so glad I didn't follow that path, but like, yeah. And so for me, it was just like, okay. And, and having that as a goal, and again, it's funny, like you look back, like I didn't know that there were, pro- I wound up doing my B.Ed. later on in adult education, but I was like, I don't actually know how this works. So I'll just work my way up onto this team. And it took me like three or four years before I could get there with stops and like coaching and relationship management and all those kinds of things. But yeah, it's just so, always so interesting how like some people follow into it, fall into it because they started training a particular function and realized they liked it. Some people were like, no, I always wanted to do this thing. Like it's a really, really interesting space to see how people got there. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. uh, I had the good fortune. So we've got a bunch of interns at uh, my organization right now. And um, because I'm part of the HR team, you know, as so often we are, uh, not always, but often one of the uh, the gals that's kind of coordinating all of them, she's doing meet and greets with managers in different pockets of the organizations. And I got to do one this week. And it was, it was fun because it's like, who's heard about learning stuff in their schooling? And nobody's like crickets, right? It's like, okay. I get it. Um, here's a thing that you could do one day. Um, and yeah. then I just went <laughs> with all my excitement for the, uh, for the discipline. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know why it feels like there is a lot of second careers or even third careers that yeah. are L and D things. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot of people that, that like go to college to be in learning and development. No, yeah, but why and, not? Well, I mean, where would you where would you even go for that, right? Like I like I said, I did my BEd in adult education, but that like it's and it's a great uh, like shout out to Brock University in in St. Catharines. It's a great program, and I recommend it. But at the same time, it was very focused on like that like adult education, like you're going to be working in adult ed centers or like if you're like, there's like a little bit of like, okay, but if you're also in healthcare, this can help. Like it, it was mm-hmm. real work to like mm-hmm. make it make sense for my, my corporate, like I, I, I truly don't know. Is there, is there an L and D program out there that people can take? There are some, I don't know that it's called L and D, but oh, interesting. Um, yeah, but I, there are some that lend themselves that way. A lot of times it's learning technologies is one that I've heard quite a few times. Interesting. Um, which, took, by the way, they don't teach you things like storyline or anything that we actually use. So, what do they teach? Like Google Docs? Like what do they teach you? I, I don't know. I just know that every, every time I've ever heard somebody that's had their degree in learning tech, they're like, except we didn't learn about e-learning. I'm like, okay, well, all right, that's fine. What's like, left? Like, I've got a degree in accountancy, but we didn't learn any math. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Do. They're going to driver's ed, and, but you never learned what the brake does. Like, right. I don't what? I don't understand, but okay. I yeah. wonder if they have to keep the uh, the program either for licensing reasons, but you'd have to have educational sort of licenses for articulate and, and Camtasia and stuff. There's got to be yeah. programs for that. Well, I mean, it's like if you do a design, like if you do a degree in design or whatever, like you're learning, oh my gosh, now I'm just going to expose my lack of like, what's well, like, like Photoshop or whatever the new thing is. You know what I mean? Like you would, you uh-huh. would learn those software. You would buy a license as part of your tuition. You would learn those softwares. So I yeah. don't... Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I, you want to, okay. So can, I'm going to date myself right now. So when I was in college, like, like what would have been my third year of college, I took a class in graphic design that was done on Mac, you know, Mac, well, I want to call yeah. them, but Mac desktops that were like massive. And we learned a program called Quark. I remember oh, Quark. I 
And I loved Quark. I thought it was really fun. Looking back, it was so hard to use. Like, I'm shocked that I made it through and actually finished the assignments. But, um, but yeah, like that was, and now, nowadays you can do like, like anything I could have done in Quark, I'm pretty sure I can do in PowerPoint. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I actually use like when I, when I'm designing like a quick slide for this thing or that thing, like just like a graphic, I actually do it in Google slides because it's easiest, but it's funny funny you mentioned how fast things go too. like when I'm, when I'm speaking with younger L and D folks, you know, I, I, the, the, the story I used to blow their minds is when I'm like the first time I did virtual training, I emailed somebody a PowerPoint. They all got in a room around a speakerphone. And then I dialed into the speakerphone, they presented the slide, and then I would say my piece and then say, next slide, please. So they never (laughs) saw my face. And I would do this for like three, four hours a day to do these software trades. Like it's, it's just wild to think about now. Yeah. Yeah. It is. No, it, it's it's come a ridiculous way. Well, I mean, speaking of which, we're on a platform right now called Zencaster, which you know Betty and I use not infrequently for podcasting. And you know, we're looking at really high, well, pretty damn high def video. We've got audio being recorded. Like technology has made this much easier, much sure. easier. I, has I'll, it? I'll 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 say yes, Uh-oh. but I also think it's made it a lot harder. Go on. He's in some doing ways the too. beard scratch. Did you see yeah. that? He was yeah, like. Yeah. Oh, mm. You can't, you can't hear it. My, my beard is far too much for you to be able to hear the scratches. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, one rule. So, 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 I mean, like, it's like anything, like, like technology is a tool, right? And so, so it, it enables, but it also makes things a little bit more difficult. So what, like what I found, found really difficult, like, especially when we moved fully virtual in the face of the pandemic is like those spots when I'm facilitating group activities that I'm really familiar with. I can't count on the same level of engagement because I could I could count when people are in the room. I'm like, okay, here you are. I can see your eyes. I see where you're looking. I can read your face. I can read your body language. And I also know there's nothing else around you. Here, you don't you I could have a television right in front of me and you would never, ever know it. I have access to my texts on my screen. My Slack is here. My Gmail, like all of that stuff is immediately accessible. And unless I'm really looking at your eyes to see if they're going back and forth and you're reading, I don't know. So I think uh, I think, yeah, like the technology today has, has solved a lot of those problems. But I also think it's more and more difficult than it ever has been before to get that, especially in like not training situations, but facilitating situations to get that engagement. Yeah. So okay. having a quick peek at your LinkedIn before we jumped on the call here, Carrie, I saw that you have done webinars and you've considered and thought about it. It's not just a thing you did. It's a thing you've thought about and, and discussed. Yeah. So uh, is there a solution for that? How, how do you, in today's world, keep people engaged when there are so many friggin' screens and so many demands on your calendar when people are triple booked? Like, how do you do it? Uh, some of the some of the really simple ways, and it's it's funny, the article you're talking about, I published, I think it was like January of 2020, I published that article oh. like, like just before. <laughs> four times? Yeah, it was. That it was, was your fault. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the universe was like, oh, you think so? Um, yeah, the, I mean, there are a few things in, in these. A lot of these strategies have really been refined over the pandemic is one. I just I just check for understanding a whole lot more often. Uh, so it's a lot more and, and just like like anything to get people's bodies moving. So sometimes I'll just say, OK, it, give me, you know, on a scale of one to five, using your fingers video on 
like one to five, mm -hmm. how much sense did the last thing make? Ready, one, two, three, go. And then everybody moves their hands or like, you know, put your put your arm on the bottom of your frame and race it to the top or to the bottom, depending on, you know, how you feel. And so anything you can do That's to get people moving and doing something other than staring at their screen is usually a win. Um, and then facilitated sessions specifically and the, the distinction I'm drawing between like a training which is like me imparting information like the all, all the goals are knowledge related i want you to have this knowledge before we done we're done versus like a facilitation i want to guide you towards an understanding that that you as a group come to before we're done uh on the more facilitated side it's easy because you're just like constantly checking in like asking people doing breakout rooms like doing whatever you can to keep from monologuing uh -huh. with trainings I found the most success the most success in trying to take them as asynchronous as possible. So if you think about it from a perspective of like there's, you know, we're aiming for knowledge acquisition, skill development, behavior change. If you can front end all of the knowledge acquisition in asynchronous materials, videos, podcasts, reading, whatever, uh -huh. and then really take the synchronous time together to dig in on the skill development and the behavior change generally those kind of exercises and those kind of experiences lend themselves much better to a webinar than doing something where it's just like, Hey, this is going to be, I remember I did a, um, we were implementing, uh, a, a new, uh, customer management system at one of my, my old companies. And the, I, I got brought in as the trainer. I wasn't the program manager. And the ask I was given was like, like basically like six hours of training and by that time, the train was like too far and it was all virtual, like everybody was distributed and the train was was kind of like too far away from the station for me to make any meaningful changes. And that that was the thing that really got me thinking like, OK, we got to do this differently. So, mm -hmm. yeah, if you can front end that knowledge acquisition stuff in async, that is that is usually the best way to go, in my opinion. And so I would just say to the listeners right now that um, you should back up and listen to what Carrie just said again, because that is gold. Yeah, it was strong. That was That's that's Good why job. he's on the Mosby Learning Podcast. This guy knows his <laughs> shit, am I right? Apparently so. Come on now. Yeah. We don't invite uh, schlubs onto this show. Well, I would hope not. Yeah. Well, not frequently, <laughs> anyhow. Um, no. Now, when uh, when when we last met a week and a half ago, uh, you weren't talking about facilitating webinars. You were talking about storytelling. That's right. Story um, crafting. Story crafting. I know. Oh, I'm different. sorry. I'm being that guy. No, that's so cool. So when we talk that's about cool. Yeah, when we talk about storytelling, and 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 I actually, to be clear, if you go through my LinkedIn, you're going to see me talk a lot about storytelling. And then about like six months to a year ago, you'll see me start talking about story crafting. And the reason is I, I just having having developed the session and run it a few times, I recognized that people were coming in with an expectation misalignment. Mm. Because when you talk about storytelling, what people think about is the way you tell a story, and rightfully so. So they think about those things like, where do I pitch my voice? Where do I throw in pauses? Where do I, you know, like, how do I move my hands? All those kinds of things. Those are all part of storytelling. And what my session is actually about is story crafting, which is like, how do I build a story for maximum influence? So like when, you know, when you watch a movie, they weren't just like, okay, well, he's going to go there. We'll shoot a thing he does there and then he'll go there. And then like they, they pace out a story and say like, okay, we're going to have an action sequence this often. We're going to have the big kiss has to come at this stage and, and all those kinds of things because they want that story to have maximum impact. So how do we build stories so that they're as influential as possible? That's Keep interesting. Talking. Really wow. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's give it a second though. I mean, that was uh okay. So, and, and I, I think I had, 
You know, I think I think that made sense to me in the session. Mm-hmm. But of course, I took away the shorthand storytelling, which which, as you highlight, no, that's not quite it. You know, uh, and you you did say uh, to kick things off, I think, in the session, something along the lines of I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to talk about how to build a story <laughs> now that I'm thinking about this. Uh, but that's I mean, that's uh, I've, I've really been fascinated with uh, story all things, telling, crafting, building, all those sorts of things, character development for, for quite some time. I'm not sure why. Why are you interested in it? Why are you telling people about this? It's, it's really because of the influence piece. Like, I, when it, I, so the, the, the way this, this uh, session came to be is I was asked to do a session for a shared conference uh, that was going to include both relationship managers and um, salespeople. And so it was like, it was, okay, what are the short list of competencies that I can come up with that both these groups would share? Well, they're trying to influence people. So what is an influential competency? What do people mm-hmm. do to influence people? And so through that research, I came upon what I'm now calling story crafting. So that initial session was like, I did, I did the upfront piece where I just did like a quick hit on like, here's the science of story crafting. Here's how it works. Here's like a st- six step model. And then the, the person I was co-developing with did his part on just like, here's how you apply it in a sales like conversation. Cause he was a, a hardcore sales enablement guy. Um, but what fast the, and, and the sales stuff was fun, but I just got really into the research for the, the, the science part of it and the framework part of it. And I was just like, man, there's something here. And I could see that even as I was starting to develop against it, it was just like, it just felt better. My stories felt snappier. You know, you, you don't know me super well, but now you're probably getting a sense that I can talk for a long time without stopping. And so I found that like my stories just got better, more, more crisp. And, you know, it's hard to say like, and it's, this is the story of L and D, right? It's like attribution is the hardest thing where it's like, how can I say for sure that it was the way I built this story that influenced someone towards it. But I did notice that I was just like seeing better outcomes, feeling better about those interactions when I told stories according to this framework and with that science in mind. I'm going to uh, tip my hand a little bit. When you say attribution, what do you mean? Oh, sure. Uh, so that whole Dumb thing. Dumb it like- down for the audience, Gary. <laughs> or the host. Or the host. <laughs> Somebody, anybody. <laughs> well, when, we talk, when I'm talking about attribution, it's that, it's that whole thing of like, okay, so typical, typical sales enablement situation. I'm a sales enablement person. Dan, you are the, the, the VP of sales. Love it. Yeah, already promoted. Congrats. I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> and you come to me. And I'm going to lay, I'll be like, okay, so Dan, what do you want my sales enablement programs to do? What's your answer going to be? Uh, I want them to help people sell more things. Totally cool. All Love right. It. So I, and this is why you're the VP. Right. So <laughs> I develop an amazing sales enablement program. I, you know, I put it all together. We implement it. And the next quarter sales are up 30%. We had only aimed for 20% and they're up 30%. Mm. That's fantastic. So I come back to you and I say, Dan, check it out. My sales enablement program pushed things up 30%. And, and here I'm going to take, I'm going to take your lines. What you're going to say to me is, well, how do you know that? How How do you know it wasn't the extra pipeline? How do you know it wasn't the marketing? How do you know it wasn't these three new salespeople we hired who were really frigging good? So, and, yeah, and, and, Dan, how do you know? 
I, I don't. I guess I don't. Now I'm in a corner here. I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> but this is the thing, and it, and this expands. I actually had one of my one of my least favorite interactions I had uh, was with a, a a VP at one of my old companies, and they decided they were going to bring in this external person to uh to to run some some sessions which which was fine like it was someone they had worked with we didn't know each other very well yet fine whatever and they just wanted me to consult on like getting this implemented and i said okay well how will we know this is successful uh-huh. and they'll though well we'll we'll deliver the sessions i said okay but what are we trying to achieve with the sessions and how will we know we achieved it and they, I, I still remember because they wrote this in a comment on a doc I was working on. They're like, this is like any other enablement program. There's no way to tell if it's successful. So circling circling all the way back, because we rabbit trailed a little bit off the story crafting, like, you know, the, the thing I think we often face as L&D professionals is how do we actually show our work is doing the things that we say it's going to do? And how do we also set realistic goals? Because like saying, oh, my learning and my learning alone is going to increase sales 30% next month. Like, come on, nobody thinks that's true. So yeah. sorry, and, and going back again, another step when I said, yeah, it's it's really hard to attribute to say that like I have become, you know, it's really hard to say for sure that I've become 50% more influential since I started using this framework. I can say for sure I feel 50% more influential. I feel more confident. And it does, sure does seem like my stories land better than they used to. Your hair yeah. even looks better than I think it did before. I thought before. so too, actually. Yeah. No, really. Um, <laughs> oh, that, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and thank you for clarifying. Yeah, I guess um, it, sometimes it's the word. So the concept I understood, I didn't understand the word in connection to it. But yeah, that's well explained. So the, the idea is if I can craft a better story, I can influence people to take the actions that I want more effectively. Uh, you can, yeah, you can influence people to to understand and adopt your point of view a little bit more easily, because what we're doing when we create good story is we're messing with people's brain chemistry, which is something mm-hmm. we've all dreamed of doing. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're creating two responses. We're, we're, we're creating an oxytocin response, which is attachment. Uh, when we tell a story and, and you know, it can be a attachment to a person. It can be attachment to a thing. Like think of the, the movie Wally, right? We get attached to this little cartoon robot who's not yeah. a human at all but like when he you know spoilers on a 12 year old movie when he gets like compacted near the end there we're just like i i was crying in the theater when that happened um and then the second reaction is a cortisol reaction which people often think of as the stress hormone which is accurate but it's also a focus hormone so we're getting people attached Mm. to someone in our story and we're getting people focused on what we're talking about and that gives us the opening to to uh, have a have a better shot at influencing someone towards uh, a way of thinking that we we advocate for. Interesting. So, you know, and and you and I had chatted just briefly. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I, I had alluded to a, a small challenge, um, and if if we're taking liberties with people's brain chemistry without their their authority, maybe is there any ethical considerations around this sort of thing? Of course. Yeah. And, and I think that kind of going back to the technology conversation we were just having, you know, storytelling is a tool. It's a tool that's been in humanity's tool belt for 
eons. It's actually one of the things that most separates us from the animals is we're able to participate in this thing called sense making, where we use our understanding of past events to shape the way that we behave in the future. And so anytime you have a tool and, and, and not to be too reductive, but like a hammer is everybody always mm. goes to a hammer, right? Yeah. That's the tool. So a hammer That's can true. build a house. It can break a house. Uh, a hammer can fix a door frame or break a hand, you know, and it, it's all in the way that you use it. So, so I think, I, sorry, think ahead, Carrie, I think what Carrie's trying to say is with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> we can't get sued for that, can we? I don't think so. Is that yours? Did you make that up, Betty? That's strong. <laughs> uh, sure. No, <laughs> not at all. But like, like uh, I love what you're saying about you. Because here's the thing. Those brain chemicals are already happening. We might as well harness them and, and use them for good. And uh, I am famous for talking about dopamine because I'm a mm. dopamine addict. Well, we all are, right? I know, but it's more fun when I just say it flippantly like that. <laughs> yeah, like we all are. But here's the thing, like if you can, because this is what I would add on to what you're saying. I love what you're saying about oxytocin and then you're talking about cortisol, which cortisol gets a bad rap. I agree, but it's definitely something well, it's super that helpful. it propels us forward, right? It, it makes us take action. But I'll throw in, if you can, in that story, add in something that people can relate to in mm. some way. And I often do that with pop culture references because that you see, okay. I'm getting that sense. Yeah. But like, there's a big smile on Carrie's face and his head just nodded, like, because he just got to hit a dopamine because he totally gets what I'm saying. Right. And so that's where the dopamine comes in is if you can give people something that they can really like grab onto and feel like they feel seen by what you said, that sort of, it's just like the perfect cocktail. I would, I would go a step further and I would say like included because dopamine often yeah. comes with that like achievement. Like I've done right. something right. Which is why yeah. those like mini games on your phone are so addictive. That's why, that's why unlike, I, I, were, were either of you like video gamers growing up? Uh, um, this, uh, I used to play Contra on Nintendo. Like, oh yeah. Nintendo. So Wasn't it's, that an IRA, uh, IRS thing? Contra. Contra? Contra? No, it was a, it was a, I don't know, it was a shoot 'em up game. All I know is I used to try to get the flamethrower because that's how I win. Yeah, it's a good, yeah. It's so funny because I actually just downloaded Contra for my PS4, like the yeah. original set of them um, oh that you mentioned it. But yeah, no, like, like I took a break from gaming for about like five, 10 years. Uh, and when I came back to it, all of a sudden everything was achievements. Like mm -hmm. you get, like you'd be going through a game and all of a sudden like a little pop-up comes up, like you've achieved the trophy because you yeah. talked to five villagers or you've achieved, you yep. know, whatever. But, and it's like, I didn't understand that until I started like learning a little bit more about brain science. It's like, oh, mini dopamine hits. Like, oh, yeah. and, and, and so you, so you're absolutely right. When people feel like uh, it's, a, it's like Captain America in the first Avengers movie. I got that reference. Yes. Like Captain America exactly. is getting a dopamine hit because he feels exactly. included. He feels like he's like. He's like been tested in this mm -hmm. really small way, but he's achieved. Yes. And so like, and if you can combine those things, like it can be really, really it's powerful. Dynamite. Literally. Oh, yeah. It will, yeah. it's explosive. Now I, I, we have to pause Carrie because Dan looks like he doesn't feel included. He needs a dopamine hit. <laughs> hit me. What do you, what do we do for that? Do we talk, bring up your, hyper your, your mustache looks really nice today, Dan. Oh my God. Thank you, Betty. Um, See? Well, yeah, so I was wondering, can you can you name one song by the band Cray uh, by the band Clutch? Yeah, Clutch. Oh, probably. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, electric worry is one of their big ones. That's it's interesting you ask about clutch, Kerry. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, it's funny. I was talking to a guy about that on the weekend, and um, I had not met him before. And he he was a mail carrier, and he um, one of the people on his route that he knows casually as well is a huge clutch fan, and he mocks him mercilessly because people that are into clutch are into clutch, and then there's everybody else that just they're like I've not uh, I've not heard of this musical group. You're going to have uh, to tell me a story to sell me on Clutch a little bit later because I've never heard of this band. And I consider myself fairly like up on music. I've never heard of them. No, I'd love to. Uh, So I feel like a bit of an asshole bringing up this ethical consideration now because when you bring up hammers and when you bring up uh, games and like Candy Crush or anything like that, it seems like the ethical consideration has never been brought up with regard to any other piece of technology. But, but here I am bringing it up around story. Like, like literally, do they bring it up around anything? Does, does YouTube be like, you know what? We don't want to give them too many dopamine hits. But that's, t- that's I mean, I, I think I think you, you bring up a good point and they probably should. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like if you're, know. you know, when we talk about using storytelling, and, and talking about influencing humans, you know, full stop. And and we see this in the political arena. We see this in our world today is like there is a lot of evil influencing going on. There is yeah. a lot of just like straight up lying or distortion that happens, oh, yeah. um, probably accessing because like, you know, when we see this with conspiracy theories and something like that, people when people see these sources outside of themselves, not realizing that they are actually tailored for themselves and they're like they see something they believe reflected there it's like i knew it dopamine yeah and so like there 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 is an ethical component to this uh and it, it's interesting that you surface it like maybe i should start surfacing this in the in the session you know it's it's a pretty packed hour so i don't know if yeah. i'd have time to go deep into it but like yeah, you could probably skate you know part of me uh, you could probably skate. I, you probably don't need yeah. to bring it up because no other jackass is going to ask the well, question. Actually, I, it, so to, to to meet you in your jackassery, please. Okay, that's probably the first time. For Join me, Betty. Join you. <laughs> the water's warm. As he was describing and and defining what story crafting and is, I was thinking. So basically, it's lying. Oh, so, I'll disagree with that. Well, but hang on. But like, as we've talked, what I'm realizing is that when you when you're talking about story crafting, I imagine step one or the first rule of story crafting is to tell the truth. That's interesting because that like because yeah. the well because the segue into this is like how do we use story crafting in L and D. You know, because when I like when I use story crafting, you know, in my life, usually like if I'm using it, if I'm mentoring somebody, for example, I use it in an example of like learn from this thing I did either because I did it wrong or I did it right. And and learn like mm-hmm. here's the story learn from this. When we think about it from an LMD perspective, oftentimes we're not going to have the luxury of finding a true story. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, if we're, and especially if you think of it from like a retail perspective, like, you know, they're not going to like scour, you know, some retail, big retail is not going to like scour their rank and file. I need a story that just perfectly proves why you should never forget to put the wet sign out, the wet floor sign out, like just put it out because someone's going to say, you know what I mean? So if you use the story to reinforce that point, usually you're going to craft a story that's false. Sorry. Well, false. 
but not like malicious. It's a yeah. story to prove the point that we know yeah. is good. We know it's good that retail workers put the wet floor sign out when there's a wet floor so nobody falls and breaks their arm. Yeah. So, so there's this gray space of, you know, is it right or wrong? Is it, you know, are we using our power for good? Are we using yeah. our power responsibly that right. we have to navigate? Um, yeah. What, how, how do you feel about that, Dan? Because you just crossed your arms and backed up like you did oh, not receive what I said. Fired up. No, no, I, I do agree. Absolutely. I guess that's that's I look uh, I look angry when I'm thinking hard. Um, no, it, it, it uh, and I don't want anybody out there to take this the wrong way. But if we were to bring religion into the conversation, there's literal interpretations and there are less literal interpretations. And they've been some some have been like it seems like things were a little more popular when they were to be literal back in the day. And now it's a little less literal in some instances, and, uh -huh. you know, maybe not in others. But, um, you know, I've heard that referred to as uh, truer than true by some people. Like it's it's true mm. in, in concept. Like you understand the concept and you, you, you intuit it on a very, very deep level, even though the story itself may not be accurate, like the Tower of Babel, you know, like right. maybe there wasn't a Tower of Babel, but you get the freaking story, you know? Right. Yeah. I would, no, just like, I would just like to point out that in in all the conversations we've ever had, Dan, you've yeah. talked about the Tower of Babel like five times. Maybe we should really? have a podcast about that. I feel like it's a great story. I yeah. feel like there's some, something there with you. It's a little hang up. Actually, uh, so I've, I've recently heard it a couple of times. Jonathan Haidt, um, Haidt is going around kind of making the rounds. Um, he's written a few books, him and a couple of other people. But uh, he had a <laughs> he had an article come out about a month ago called Why the Last Ten Years Were I think the last 10 years in America were uniquely stupid. Um, and he puts a lot of it at the feet of social media, but the tower of Babel is the story that he accesses the whole thing through. Like mm. nobody gets what the hell anybody else is saying anymore. And we're yep. also, so that's kind of his way into it. That's why it's in my headspace. But okay. there was a, there was a couple, like the reason I brought up the whole ethical thing to begin with is because I saw on LinkedIn a little while ago, one of the guys I pay a lot of attention to Donald Clark, I think is his name. Uh -huh. And um, he brought up, uh, he's kind of a sciencey guy. He's from Scotland, um, but he's like a sciencey learning dude. Uh, he's dabbled in video a lot as well. He commented on somebody's post about a book called <clears throat> The Story Paradox, mm -hmm. which is a guy that he had previously written a story that was more heralding stories and storytelling and all that sort of stuff. And, th and then as he digs into that part of it, you know, he starts to like uncover some, some nasty stuff. And, and that's mm -hmm. what this book is. It's like, well, there's been a lot of nasty shit that's come from stories and that's where the propaganda, that's where the conspiracies kind of come into play. And there's pieces of that, that really kind of hit people on a really funny little level as well. Um, and there was another piece too, which I've got this little book beside me, which I pulled off the shelf, Human Hacking, which is a book written by uh, Chris Hadnagy, who's a, uh, he's a hacker by trade. And, um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And he's a really, he's a social engineer is what he is. And so that book is subtitled, When Friends Influence People and Leave Them Better Off for Having Met You. So basically con people, but make them feel good about it. And you can get the thing that you want. But at the very beginning now, of this- Now, hold on. How is that conning people? Well, so he's a social- I mean, I, mean enough, I get it. I get it. There is a piece at the beginning. Well, so <laughs> it's a good question. There's a piece at the beginning, though, and I want to answer that. The piece at the beginning, there is a please read and sign before continuing. And it's basically, he's teaching <laughs> All you- All the best books have those. <laughs> but he's teaching you legit con tactics- 
and saying, listen, friends, this hammer should be used for the power or for, you know, for good. Don't mm. go messing about with stuff. Don't be a jerk about it. But um, the the con things, a lot of it, like uh, emotional manipulation um, sort yep. of stuff, uh, that sort of, you know, things that go down that path and structuring but, and kind of building your, your um, not persona, but building your situation and then walking in with like, oh my gosh, I'm a, you know, my dog just died, blah, 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 you know, and, and kind of to take advantage of a situation, but then you somehow turn it around and everybody's happy at the end of the story. I don't know, hmm. but uh, but anyways, so that's why it's been like in my headspace. We're like, yeah, okay, if we're if we're talking intentional manip, and it's hard. I don't want to say manipulation all the time, but influence. So intentional influence, and, um, and it's it's, well, it, I, I yeah, I, like it's it's influence and manipulation. Same. Like it, they're it's, not the same. They're not. The, I we I gotta say that they're not. Yes. The okay, same. well that's good. So okay, uh, let's pull the words influence apart for a second. Manipulation are not the same. Say that again. Pull it apart for a second. Go ahead. Okay. So, so manipulation is, is trying to coordinate actions and activities and people to whatever it is that you want them to do. So to, 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 to their will and manipulation is often, um, is often seen as negative, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're trying Mm -hmm. to, force something you're trying to force something to happen by moving around yeah. pieces you're okay? eliminating the choice maybe more Thank so you're you. taking yes. the choice out of people's choice. hands more i like that Gary, what are your influence. thoughts influence oh. is very different go ahead i was just gonna say i would actually take and i i think intent is very important uh yeah. not to not to bring it back to religion but i just finished a really interesting podcast series called the rise and fall of mars hill um and Mars Hill, Mars Hill was this this mega church, uh, surprisingly like conservative and not conservative all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Very very typical mega church story, like you know, hotshot lead pastor grows the church, multiple campuses, scandal, 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 church falls apart. And I know, big shocker, <laughs> oldest story in the world. And yeah. <laughs> but but what was what's really interesting about it is they talk about the difference between like your intent like what happens when you you thought the intent was like we're going to grow this thing but I'm going to get brought along too and then you realize that the intent was I'm going to grow this thing and I'm going to use you until you are no longer of use. And I think that's also a really mm. interesting delineation like am I telling this story because I need you to do something for me or am I telling you this story because I truly think that this is the right course of action for you. Interesting. And whether you take it or leave it, I'm not like, that is not going to like, you know, make me discard you or make me harm you or, or anything like that. Right. I like that. So step one, don't be an a-hole. Yes. Step two, craft a good story. Yeah. I love it. What? Okay. So, uh, what would what would be some first steps if I wanted to craft a good story? I'm not thinking I'm not thinking dialogue. I'm not thinking character yeah. development yet, right? What voice am I going to adopt? No, what's the what's the crafting approach here? How many voices do you usually use for he your stories, Dan? I'm really curious. Yeah, no. I actually do a bit of voice. I, I do fun. I I love reading. Uh, I'm reading The Hobbit to my kid right now against his will. It's, it's oh, I just did it with my seven year old. He loved it. And yeah. yeah, doing the Gollum voice though oh for like God. nights on ends. Just Love like it. I don't know how Andy Circus did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a he's a gift. But so, anyways, um, I, I I have fun with that. Uh, so yeah, how do you how do you start with crafting a story? Start with uh, start with the moral. 
Like, and, and if it's, especially if it's a story, like generally, generally the best stories you tell, and, and let's just, you know, take the fig leaf off. We all have a roster of 10 stories that we tell over and over and over again. Like we have the story, like Dan's face when you said take the fig leaf off. <laughs> I've never heard that, but I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. I'm so sorry, Carrie. That was. That's perfectly all right. So, so yeah, like we all have a roster of 10 stories that we tell, right? We have the like story about us being a klutz. We have the story of us getting caught in inclement weather. We have the story of us like having a wacky experience meeting a celebrity. Like we all have just that roster of 10 stories. And so when you, the, the first thing when you're telling a story is like, know what point you get across. And so what I, what I recommend is start with like, and that's when I, so know like, that's the point of the story. Like that's when I learned attribution is hard. In learning and development. That's when I learned. Sir, go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say, so I asked, how do you start? And you said, start with the moral. I seem to oh. recall morals come at the end of it, but you're saying you need to consider that before you yes. get into the story, before yes, you get, because- get into crafting it. Exactly right. Because, okay. and, and two, the way you tell a story, like the same story can serve different ends, right? Mm. Like if I'm telling a story, for example, about... Okay, silly random story. I'll just give you the fine points of it. I won't craft it properly. But like, do either of you know who David Usher is? I know no. the name. He but- was the lead singer of a, a can rock band in the 90s called Mor- <laughs> I, I I'm not kidding you. That is the name of the band. Barry, this may be the last time that you're on the Mosby Podcast. <laughs> I love it. And so oh, I did an interview with him once uh, and I asked him a question. And he called me, I asked him the question and he called me a fucking devil for asking the question. The question was, what are your top five desert island CDs? So if I'm telling that story, the point of that story could be like, do your research. Maybe he doesn't like that question. The point of that story is like, and that's when I learned that celebrities like to have fun in interviews. And that's when I learned that, you know what I mean? Like there could be multiple sort of morals to that story. So always know what you're going in with. Like, and that's when I learned that boom, boom, boom. And then from there, I like, I mean, I could go through the six step model if we really want me to do that. But the the best piece of advice I can give you um, is distill for the essence of the story. We all have that uncle. It's always an uncle. I don't know why, but it's always an uncle who just like starts telling a story. It's like it was November. 1987, it was about 22 degrees out. I was wearing a flannel, a red, no, blue flannel. I was wearing my blue flannel that, <laughs> and you're just like, get, get to the point, Uncle yeah, Jones. Yeah. Just, just, just get to the point. Okay. So distill, so know what you're, know what you want to land, the moral of the story, the, the thing you want people to remember, and then just be as short and punchy as you can about it. Huh. Okay. Do um, we get to tell stories? Cause I've got one. I've got one of my. Do you, my like, do you want, like, are you asking me to like edit the story for you? No, no, no. I, I, well, sure. I mean, you could, but this is one of my, can I tell a story, Dan? You can. Carrie, just, just sit back and enjoy. And this is uh, a short one. Let's this is one short regale one. us, Betty. So I used to, I used to teach um, emotional intelligence from talent smart and loved teaching this class because they actually used Hollywood movies to drive home the, the concepts. Right. So, and most of them were Tom Hanks movies. So read into that what you will, but um, there was a, there's a part where we talk about a trigger event. Right. And so you have this trigger and there's like this, uh, this slide that has 
a flow chart and there's a trigger event and you have you have an opportunity to respond and typically if you respond without thinking it's a negative response right and so it, there's a negative result to your response but sometimes when you respond without thinking there's a positive result so like the example of that is like you know when women like like lift buses off of babies or a guy jumps into a river to save a dog right like there's no they don't think about it they just respond and mm -hmm. that has a positive outcome but most of the time it's a negative outcome and let me tell you about how let me tell you a story about when i realized that without thinking i would definitely have a negative outcome so i was out for a walk with my daughter she was about 12 at the time and we were heading back home and as we walked down the block there was a neighbor and sitting out on their porch and their dog was out there not on a leash this is my biggest pet peeve i know that your dog is great and and likes you but your dog does not know me and so the minute i walk by that dog is going to come at me right so put your dog on a leash anyways off my soapbox so we're walking down we're walking down the street and we go to cross the street towards the dog and I'm looking and the dog stands up and looks straight at me Come and I'm on. like oh boy here we go and of course the neighbor's not paying any attention and all of a sudden the dog takes off running and he runs straight at me and I grabbed Lucy and I jumped behind her <laughs> Betty so and this is a true story. Like this really happened. And she was like, mom. And I was like, what? He was running right at me. She's like, he was running right at me. Okay. So the moral of the story is don't well, use your child as a human shield. Oh, that's a good, but learning. also well, it sounded like it worked. <laughs> <laughs> the dog stopped and went back. Like nobody got hurt, but like, but also, you know, the, if you don't think, you know, the stimulus, when the stimulus comes, if you don't give space and time to respond appropriately, it could yeah. definitely end up in negative consequences. And my child still reminds me of that whenever we yeah. see a dog that's off leash. Victor Frankel. Don't use me as a human shield. Victor Frankel, uh, he's, he's that, that's, that was his, he had, that's one of his quotes is, there's a moment between stimulus and response. And oh, shit, it's got something to do with like that's that's where characters built, or that's like that's yeah. that's the thing yes. where that's the thing you always have a choice. Y'all are y'all are familiar with uh, Dan Kahneman, uh, thinking fast and slow. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. So like like what what you're describing, I want to and sorry, I don't want to get too far into this because I actually want to break down the story you told, Betty. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. Chef's kiss, it was great. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like that like what we're talking about is like our amygdala response, and generally when we yeah. engage with our amygdala. Uh, with that, with that, like with that reptile brain, uh -huh. the reason we have like that quote unquote negative response is because its first response is always going to be protect me. I want to yeah. live. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And so that's, yeah. that's why you threw your daughter. Cause you're like, I can have more daughters. I can't have more me's. <laughs> uh, let's, let's dive into your story there. Cause I think it was absolutely fantastic. So when we talk about like the actual steps of a story, the very first thing we want to do is, uh, is, is we want to do the exposition. Like we want to establish the things that we needed right at the beginning. And you did a really good job of balancing what we needed to know with like not putting in, like, I don't know if you live on a cul-de-sac or a, or right, an right, avenue. Right. I don't care. I don't not know important. if it was a, I don't know if it was a, a side split. I don't know. I don't need to know that thing. There was real one really important part information, piece of information you didn't give me though, that created confusion later in the story. Do you know what it was? Uh, that, that Lucy was my daughter. Bingo. Yeah, I forgot to tell you that her name was Lucy in the beginning. Right. Yep. And, and, and because your dog was with you, I was like, that could be Lucy, mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and and the context of the story let me in a second later, but it did take me out of the story for a moment. And so uh, the exposition, that's the very first thing you did that really, really well. You're, the next thing you need is your inciting incident. And you kind of mentioned this actually in the course you were talking about, like, what's that thing that's going to create the change, right? Mm -hmm. And it's uh -huh. like, yeah, I saw my neighbor, I saw his dog off a leash, and I just like, I knew it was going to go bad. Yeah. Um, and, and you could probably even just leave it there and leave it like when you think about the three little bears, their whole thing is like, this one's building a, a, a house of brick. Cool. This one's building a house of mud. What? This one's building a house of hay. Oh, no. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like the story actually like. But it's pigs, not bears. What I say? Bears? Yeah. It's always, it's usually bears, isn't it? No, oh, okay. bear, bears are with Goldilocks. Anyway, Canadian. We don't have pigs yeah. up here. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that right, but it's cool. The storytelling expert doesn't know the three pigs, y'all. Uh, <laughs> so, anyways, you did a really good job, though, on the inciting incident. The only thing I would say is, like, your your aside was really funny. It was yeah. like really comical, and I enjoyed it. But it did take me out of the story for a minute. I know I'm terrible for that. No, no, but, no. But sometimes I think there's value in that. The, it depends on your goal. If your goal is to entertain me with the story, Betty, mm -hmm. mission friggin' accomplished. If okay. your goal is to land that influence piece, now yeah. you're interrupting my you're interrupting my cortisol and my oxytocin responses. Gotcha. You're asking me to concentrate. You've already established a really good connection with the you in the story, and now you've grabbed me by the hand. You've dragged me to this other room to be like, let me just monologue at you for a yeah, minute about. Just for, just for a second, yeah. Yeah, but again, it depends on your goals. Feedback. So, so now you get into the next piece and you actually did a really good job of this naturally, which is the rising action. This is where we establish the stakes. This is where we really start stressing people out. And the easiest way to do this is to say like an if then statement. So like, if this dog sees me, then I know he's going to come dashing for me. Or if this dog comes over to me, I'm pretty sure, you know, Pepper Potts, which is your, your dog, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Pepper Potts and this dog are going to fight, whatever it is, like an if then statement, just to let us know what the, like, let us know what the, the stakes are, but you did a really good job of just kind of like implicating that without actually saying it, saying it explicitly, which I thought was really nicely done. Uh, you do have a good like sense for storytelling. Uh -huh. We get to the climax. What happened? Did you win? Did you lose? Why did you win? Did you lose? You, you won because the dog didn't attack you, but you stuck your daughter in front of you. Uh, so you, and depending on the context, that could be a winner or a loss, depending on what you're going with the story. <laughs> now at the end of the story, we usually like, we end at that thing of like, I put my daughter in front of me. Uh -huh. What'll make this an influential story is actually what comes after that. So how does the climax affect the rest of your life? And if you wanted to land this from a perspective of like, you know, having trust with my daughter is really important. And I lost trust on that day. Mm -hmm. You might say something like, and I just like, I knew that I screwed up because, you know, the next time we walked and, and again, I'm just making this up. I don't know <laughs> if this is true or not, sure. but you know, the next time we walked by that dog's house, uh, you know, she, she kind of slowed down and got behind me, you know, like there was, yeah. there was a real fear response there. And, you know, that's how I know that I need to really take time to think. And this is the moral of the story. Yeah. That's how I know I really need to take time and think and put my daughter first. Alternatively, you could go like, and, 
you know, and my daughter never let me, let me live that day, live yeah. it down that day. And that's how I know not to ever do anything silly in front of your daughter. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's a couple of different ways you could land that plane there, sure. but sure. yeah, getting that information, the inciting incident. So we know where the change is coming from rising action. If then statement to get that stress response going, what happened? How did it affect the end of the scene? The moral six steps, boom, you're out. That's the See, entire model. I had, I had almost all the six, all six steps. You did. I just also tend to soliloquy in the middle. And this is the thing, like, like I said before, we have been using storytelling for eons. That's probably yeah. an, an overstatement, but for thousands and thousands of years, it is how we have made sense of the world, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, and, 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 you know, your, your personal views on the Bible aside, that's why the Bible is such a powerful book because it's got these stories that people resonate with and create meaning out of. And so because of that, we're all pretty good at storytelling, but we could all be a little bit better. And that's honestly one of the things when I run this seminar with people and, and so Dan, like you heard me say this a few times when we met is like, this is going to feel weird because I'm, it's almost as though I'm teaching you how to like, how to walk different or how to breathe different. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's something you've just kind of been doing automatically for so long that there's some part of you telling you like, I am a bad human because clearly I, I, I'm bad at being a human because clearly I'm not doing this well. It's just because you've been doing it for so long. So there, there's, there's nothing we can't get better at. I actually had to, I was having like plantar fasciitis a few years ago and I literally had like the therapist dude teach me how to walk properly, which, which felt like the weirdest thing, but now I don't have plantar fasciitis anymore. Interesting. Well, there I'm, you go. I'm going through a thing on that right now, actually. So, plantar. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, it yeah, sucks. Yeah. Shit went completely sideways. So I've been dealing with it for a couple of years, and then uh, so me and the boy do taekwondo, um, uh, just to share with the Mosbianians. I do a little taekwondo <laughs> in case they ever accost you in the streets. That's right. Okay. Here, here, here's what I have to say about that. Prove it. Let's see. Prove it. Well, I can't because my foot. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, actually. Here, I have my, my we certificate. We got to describe the action for the listeners. I have my certificate. I'm just showing my certificate. Hey, uh, there is no action. Uh, but I'm okay. officially a martial artist. But um, but anyways, and then uh, two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, we were doing a thing, and just my my situation, my foot situation, went from like a four to about a thirteen, um, mm. and it still hurts. Uh, but uh -huh. that's not what I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> you were you were saying. It felt weird or it can feel weird to teach folks to do this piece again. And to me, honestly, that just sounds like if we were to do a, a training that had role playing built into it, like you're just mm -hmm. having a conversation with somebody. Why are you making it weird? It's because it's uh -huh. role play and it's always yeah. weird, right? Um, it's just going to happen. So I, I think that that's anytime there's a new skill. So I, I, that's got to happen. It's got to be weird for a minute. It has yeah. to be, it has to be uncomfortable because that's, that's where the learning happens, right? Yeah. Like, like, like throwing back to the beginning of the episode, we were talking about knowledge. You're talking about knowledge, front loading the knowledge. Mm -hmm. uh, what word you, you said? Knowledge acquisition. Yeah. Acquisition. Yeah. That's a fancy word. That's a, I was going to say <laughs> knowledge input. That's cool. Knowledge and then skill building and then behavior change. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, I got lost. What was I talking about? Well, you're talking about role play, I think. Yeah. So, so like, so like so there has to be a level of discomfort. So like when you're doing mm -hmm. skill building, you're, you're making people talk to each other. Mm. 
yeah. and practice with each other. Yeah. It has to be uncomfortable. That's the space where they actually learn it. Yeah. They've, they've received and acquired the knowledge, but they don't actually assimilate it and really know how to do it until they do it. There's a, there's a great model. Um, I'm doing my master's in leadership right now. And uh, I did an entire uh, course on change management. And there was a change model and I remember looking at it and they were, I was like, oh, it's the learning model just for organizations. And it's, uh, it's, Lewin, it's Lewin's model, uh, the oh, three-step okay. model, uh, unfreeze, move, refreeze, mm. um, if you're familiar. But yeah, like it's, it's exactly what you're talking about, Betty. It's like people are frozen in place. And especially it's like – and my wife talks to me about this sometimes too. Is like being a learning person, I think I'm just like much more comfortable being uncomfortable with those things. I'm much more comfortable with like, yes, this is going to take me time to learn. Yes. And yeah. and and I, I think I sometimes take that for granted in other humans. Mm-hmm. But that process of going from like where I am to, to unfreezing, not even moving, but just recognizing that I need to get better and do better. That's a process. And that's something that we actually have to like shepherd people through. Yeah. And then, and then they can move and then like, celebrate and get in place with what they've accomplished in in the new them. Carrie, I'd like to ask you about another Canadian storyteller, uh, a famous fellow, Norm MacDonald. You familiar? <laughs> Very familiar. Actually, one of my favorite SNL sketches is a Norm MacDonald sketch that which, nobody has seen. Which one? It's uh, the Patrick Stewart episode where, uh, which is famous. There's like a GIF and a meme of Patrick Stewart trying to introduce salt and pepper uh, okay. as the musical <laughs> guest and like this poor Shakespearean actor. Anyway, uh, it's Patrick Stewart is playing the devil and, uh, and Norm Macdonald. And I think it was like David Spade and somebody else are playing like his minions and they're just like low key making fun of him the whole time. But it's just like, so right in Norm Macdonald's wheelhouse, like, Hey Satan, you uh, had a little trouble <laughs> eating that grape there. Uh, was, uh, Think you're going to take over heaven like that? You know, stuff like, oh, my gosh. Anyway, sorry. Love Norm MacDonald. Well, that's good. So I I, I love him as well. Um, you know, RIP Norm. Uh, but yeah. the, he was uh, famous or infamous for wasting just obscene amounts of late night talk show time <laughs> telling yes. just these crazy stories that went absolutely nowhere. And I don't know, just your familiarity with the, with the crafting element is there anything that you saw that he did that was special, aside from being you know special for who he was, but is there anything that you saw about the way he played with stories and the way he played with people? I, I think you you nailed it played with like what and this is what many of like the best comedians are good at is they're good at recognizing and engaging with trope and then uh-huh. turning it on its head. So like, like the thing when you talk about like Norm Macdonald, just like wasting time Mm -hmm. on these talk shows is you could tell he was luxuriating in it. Like he he loved it. Right. And so, and he knew, he knew what he was doing is he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting this almost like Pavlovian response from this crowd because I'm telling a story. And so they're expecting like beat one, two, three, four, five. And like, I'm going to beat one, two, three, four X, you know, like, like, or, or like one, two, three, four, four, a, four B, four C, you know what I mean? Like he just, (laughs) he would, he would take that trope and he could engage with an audience so that not even that what they thought, what they felt they expected. 
And then he could like extend that feeling or contract it. Or like he could like tell that story. And just when you get to the point where it's like, oh, he's actually not going to land the plane, he would land the plane, you know? And he just like had a really good sense for how to feel out an audience and and mess with those expectations. That I think is what was special about him among a yeah. lot of other things. He, he, he really, yeah, he, he, he seemed to be, you know, and I watched um, Netflix had, what the hell was it called? The whatever, whatever came out after he died. Um, yeah, I, I never watched it. I saw it on so there. But it, yeah. it was interesting because, I mean, it's him talking to the camera, basically what we're doing, right? He's talking to the camera mm. and he's doing his his stuff, his his routine that he crafted. And uh, and then afterwards, there's a bunch of people. There's, uh, uh, I think, Molly Shannon, I think, uh, Dave Letterman, Dave Chappelle, Dave Spade, all the Daves, Adam Sandler, maybe somebody else. And they're all kind of chatting about it afterwards and about how he really just – he would wallow in that audience reaction and, and sometimes piss them off intentionally and just hang there and just uh-huh. stay there and make them angry and just let it, let it be, you know? And that yeah. seemed to be his, he, he was in it for him a little bit too, which is beautiful in a way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. So he, he was good at telling stories um, in whatever way he wanted to, who do you think we could look to that, seems to tell stories in the maybe more textbook way that uh, that you'd say ah this person just an amazing storyteller uh commercials really Mm -hmm. honestly the best Mm. storyteller you here's a funny thing we don't have cable we get we get cable once a year for the nba playoffs because me and me and my seven-year-old both love basketball you ask how i got plantar fascia i just play basketball okay and does he remember he remembers some of the players does he remember who won in round one round two round three no 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 what does he remember ewan mcgregor saying are we i'm doing an ad for expedia now but like are we going to regret the things that we didn't buy or the places we didn't go like that's what he remembers (laughs) yeah and when you look at that particular ad it's telling a story the way they're walking through it's it, a there one, is a, yeah. a really interesting. So the the model I should have I should have said this before, the model I I used before for for storytelling is uh, called Freitag's pyramid. It's a really well known storytelling model, but John Hopkins has actually done a bunch of studies on it. One of the studies they did was they took the same product, they did a product with the like you know great taste, more refreshing, whatever, and then they did like the Coke ad with the product where it's like it tells a mini story throughout the commercial. Uh And for the exact same product, you get significantly higher attachment and positive feelings when you use Freitag's pyramid to advertise it. Hmm. And I mean, so so like the the Budweiser commercials with the the dog and the horse. Oh, I don't know that one. I think they advertise NFL, not NBA. Literally, the only commercials I watch are during the NBA playoffs. <laughs> okay, well, never mind. I'm Hopefully so the sorry. Listeners know what I'm talking about. This is a cute little dog, and then there's the Clydesdale horses, and there's this whole story that happens, and nobody speaks. Mm. Like you don't, ha- like you, you don't have to Google yeah. it. The dog Budweiser Clydesdale. Well, yeah. Oh. Um, and nobody speaks at all. But like at the end of it, you're like ready to cry, and it's been 45 seconds. Like exactly, and 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 think about like you're you're attached. And clearly there's stakes there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like you're, you're having that emotional reaction. So yeah, like, and that's, that's a bit of a pithy answer to say commercials in terms of people. I mean, nobody, 
TED Talks do it really well. I mean, Simon mm-hmm. Sinek's really good at it. He's amazing. He, oh, sure. he's so good. Yeah. He's so good yeah. at it. The, one of the courses I'm taking right now where I, we actually have to watch a ton of Sinek stuff. And I've watched it all before, but I'm like, yeah, get me in there. I'm not, oh, I'm not looking good. at the transcript for this one. I'm, I'm watching it again. Yeah, Simon Sinek's really good. Um, um, if we can, if we can uh, bump over back into religion for a second, Stephen Furtick. If you've ever watched Stephen Furtick, he's a mm, he's a familiar. he's a pastor, and he tells stories in in his in his sermons, and he's so animated, and he does mm. a really great job of of telling telling stories. I mean that 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 would be a group of people that I would expect to have it nailed. Yeah, you know? you well, so, yeah. they don't always. But, they don't always, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Wow, this is uh, this has been a, a terrific conversation, Carrie. Um, there's there's uh, one more thing I want to cover off with you guys. This is a this is a segment I like to call "Can Training Fix It?" Okay. okay. And and maybe we can even apply some of the things we're doing now. There's a chat component to our our interface here, and I'm going to put right. a message in the chat. That's actually a link. Like I, I okay. want you guys to click that link. This isn't a scam of any sort. This is to a product mm-hmm. called. What's this product called? Tortilla, tortilla Pockets? Pockets Kit. Yeah, the the old El Paso Tortilla Pockets Kit, because apparently it's too difficult to make a burrito out of a tortilla wrapper. My kids they're... still make me wrap their their burritos. So the girls <laughs> they hard. do. Yeah, fourteen and nineteen. Well, so this is the question, Betty. Is this a training problem? Can training fix this? Is this a product that doesn't need to be if there was proper training? That's but my why, question. Well, but but it already exists, so why why bother building the training? Just use the tortilla pocket. Because no. we want to put El, old El Paso out of business. That's why. Well, <laughs> it's it's a big uh, big tortilla. It's the whole big tortilla <laughs> gotta, industry. Gotta take care of big tortilla. That's right. I mean. <laughs> So I, I, I tread lightly here because I've just met you, Betty, but I will say that my, my seven and five-year-olds can wrap their own tacos. I, I get it. I totally understand. Ooh. And sometimes I'm just like, nope, you're going to have to figure it out. Maybe so, once yeah. they hit eight, it just it falls off a cliff. Yep. You never know. How old was Lucy when you picked her up in front of the dog? What age she was, was she? She was 12. 12. Oh, okay. So it wasn't. Yeah. She was tall enough to get in <laughs> To serve as a, <laughs> be a reasonable barrier while I made my escape. It's about human shield size, you yes. know, whatever, whatever size that is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this segment. I would so I think at the end of the day I would say yes, training can fix this, uh, and I think it's it you know. I think it's going back to my three things like it's knowledge acquisition and skill development. I don't even think you need behavior change unless there's like some like deep seated of I don't do things for myself behavior that we that we need Mm -hmm. to address there. My question is, Dan, why did you choose this product? This was put in front of me by another Mosby co-host, Mr. Eli Uh Barant. He saw this product and he thought what I thought. Can training fix this problem? I think it can. But yeah. I think like, I mean, it's, it's interesting, especially with food. It, it blows my mind how we, and it's a very North American thing, but like we have mm-hmm. conditioned ourselves to think that we can't do a lot yeah. of things. Like I started making my own pasta sauce this year and it was revelatory yeah. that I could like take canned tomatoes and tomato paste, some spaces and like a little bit of butter and all of a sudden, I've got something that I can put over noodles. Yeah. Like, but, but I mean, and I'm 42 years old, but it's like up until this point, I've always just like eaten it out of a can or eating it out of a jar. And so there does seem to be this like, 
this like tr- I don't even know if we can use this, but like with th- this trend within the food industry of like let's just take all the barriers out of the way. You can eat a ton of salt, you can eat a ton of carbs and weird preservatives and stuff, but you won't have to do the work. And isn't that what right. you really want? So it's it's a laziness. It's also um, a set of limiting beliefs that we can't make yes. our own pasta sauce. Although I will say, the day that you make it starting fresh from tomatoes, that will be the day that changes your life. That it's it's weird. I started making salsa fresh from tomatoes, and yeah. I still haven't got my my recipe quite right. So, mm. and I'm so happy with the pasta sauce. It here and here's the thing. It's like I'm so happy with my pasta sauce today. Do I really want to like go to the fresh tomatoes, which I know will eventually be better, but I'm going to make like six bad batches before I get right. there. Do you know what and I'm saying? But it, and I, would, exactly. I would I would take that and apply that to these tortilla pockets because yes, I can roll my own burrito, but there are some other there are questions. I have other questions. Like number 1, can can I fit as much stuff in my burrito as I could in this pocket? Um is it going to unroll as soon as I set it on the on the, um, the on the plate yeah. versus this pocket. It just stands up for me. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Does it seriously just stand up? It's so. a flat well, there's like a ghost hand pocket. in it though. Look, there, like if you look at the box, there's like a ghost hand holding it. I don't think you can just sit it on the plate sitting up. You know, I bet you could. And I think that ghost hand, maybe that's actually a job aid of sorts. They're showing oh, you yeah. how to hold <laughs> yeah, the stupid thing. There's no mess. <laughs> yeah. See, there's no mess because the bottom doesn't open. The bottom is solid. It's like an ice cream cone, but for a burrito. I'm in, dude. I'm buying these this weekend. We're having these for July. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) so the answer is both yes and no. You heard it here first. I think the answer is yes, but we don't care. Yeah, (laughs) maybe that's it. All right, Carrie, thank you so much, man. This has been a really enjoyable conversation. This has been super fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Betty, thank you, of course, as always. Um, Betty, first, where uh, where can people find you and the things that you do? Uh, so you can find me on just about any social media at If You Ask Betty. I try to keep it simple. Um, if you're looking for a website, it's ifyouaskbetty.com. Once again, I'll keep That's it simple. Yeah. Um, if you really need to email me, it's at ifyouaskbetty at gmail.com. Oh, interesting. If you want to Venmo me for any reason, it's if, yeah. at if you ask Betty. You never know, you know. Uh, so yeah, that's the best place to find me out there on the social webs. Buy Betty a domain, Venmo her. Uh, just, Carrie, just don't ask, don't ask Betty to wrap your burritos because it's going to be a, it's going to be a link to this product, and that's the entirety of the response. From now on, that's right. correct. Yeah. Uh, Carrie, where can folks find you? I'm not nearly as uh, as professional as Betty. Uh, best place to find me, honestly, is LinkedIn. Uh, if you search Carrie O'Brien, there's like me and 200 Irish ladies. So uh, once you see okay. a beard, just stop. You found me. Uh, but if you do really want to search me up, it's uh, LinkedIn. My URL is uh, Carrie Blaze, B-L-A-I-S-E, O'Brien with an E. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where my blogs are. That's where my posts are. That's where I am most of the time. So that's the best place to find me. That's awesome. And we'll include links to, uh, well, Carrie's, um, Carrie's articles and that we've talked about, Carrie's website, his blog, Carrie's LinkedIn. And uh, Betty, we'll and just link to everything that we can possibly. Link, you can just link to my Venmo. That's fine. We'll just link to your Venmo. Okay. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, our music that uh, that you guys no doubt heard. You didn't comment on, and that's okay, but uh, that you heard in this episode, which is uh, from filmmusic.io. And that's all of it's by Kevin McLeod. And uh, he always does really cool things. The song that you're likely hearing now is the show Must Be Go, which is always cool. Show 
notes for this episode. Speaking of shows, mosby.ca slash 037 is where you can get everything. All the links will be there. And if you want to share the episode, if you want to look for it quickly, you can find it there. And um, I guess just apologies for the gratuitous use of the word in this episode. And uh, <laughs> we didn't even get flutterboard in. I didn't get to yell Yahtzee. Dang it. <laughs> I tried so time. hard. I know you were. I was waiting for it. I was like, he's going to say it. He's going to say it. <laughs> All right. Thank Dan, you guys very much. Wait, 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 Dan, wait, one more thing. Wait, yeah. I have a very important question for you. Mm. Am I your favorite co host ever? Jesus. Thanks, everybody. Take care. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, this is uh, this has been a terrific conversation, Carrie. Oh, I'll disagree with that. Oh, my God. All right. Good. My kids still make me wrap their their burritos, so. Training can fix this. Really? Okay. That's, hmm.